Pastor Corey here with Heights Church. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast. If you would like more information about Heights Church, simply go to weareheights.org or follow us on our Facebook page. If you're looking to get plugged into a church, feel free to reach out to us via our website by simply clicking contact, and we will help you find a similar church in your area. Hope the podcast serves you well, and thanks for tuning in. Joshua dies and everything just goes just horrible. It just goes horrible. And that's what we see. We see a nation that is, that is not just a, a nation of people, but God's chosen people. It's like, this is his plan. Like, they were coming from Abraham and Jacob, and this is it. This is God's chosen people. They had a direct plan of what to do. They had a mission given to them. A mission, just so clear. It's just go and to conquer the lands, drive out these pagan nations, and you're going to rule, you're going to have power, you're going to point the world to me, to God. And they had a guaranteed victory. They, had a guarantee. there was, they weren't going to lose. Like we see this all through the book of Joshua. Like if they go and they do what they're called to do, they're, they're victorious. They win. And then just keep going and going. When they don't follow God, they lose. They had a guaranteed victory. But here's the problem. That after 350 years or so now, what we have is not a nation that is set apart that looks like God's chosen people, but we have a nation that looks like the pagan nations around them. That's what they look like. They don't look like God's chosen people. They have been, they've become just like the rest of the world. And I want you to see something and sit in this reality. The book of Judges is written about God's people to God's people, okay? And that's so important for us to understand because the reason why is that if it was about these other nations that were coming in and doing things, then we'd be like, well, that's how the other nations lived. But this is how God's people were living. This is how they were living. And so they wasted away 350 years, really, of cultural dominance just to turn out looking like the rest of the world. Do you wanna know what that reminds me of? The American church. It reminds me of the American church, and here's why. Because the United States of America has been around for 246 years this July. So as a nation, 246 years, over 400 years since the first English settlement in 1607 in Jamestown. So you have anywhere, you can go however you want to look at it. You can go from 246 years to around 400 years of cultural Christian dominance. Right? We're supposed to be a Christian nation under God. We don't look like it. We don't look like it all. We have taken 250 years, I'm going to call it, for my own personal mind, this is a nice even number of cultural dominance, and we've wasted it away so that we can look like the very pagan culture we were supposed to be salt and light to. That's what we've done. We are too like Israel. See, we've had a mission. It's called the Great Commission. But we didn't do it. We had a guaranteed victory, not because we're awesome, but because Jesus Christ conquered death and sin. When he went to the cross, he died and rose again. We had guaranteed victory. And so today, as we wrap up Judges, I mean, there's good news coming next week. Like when Corey preaches about Ruth, you guys can be happy. You're not going to be happy today. We're in Judges 19 through 21. Hopefully, you've been reading along in the reading plan, and you know like where this is going. This is going to a dark place. Not a place that any of us probably want to sit in on a Sunday. 
honestly not real hip about preaching on it, but this is the reality of where we're at. We're in Judges 19. I'm not going to read all this. It's way too much to read. Um, Kelly will try to keep up on some of the screens, and you'll see some scripture pop up, but if you have your Bible on your phone or underneath the chair or in physical Bible, then you can keep up. But here, here we go. This is, this is where we're at. I'm going to tell the story, and then we're going to pick it apart. In those days when there was no king in Israel... So just the hit there, there was no king. There was no one in charge. There was no one leading the way. There was no more judges. There was no more Joshua. And they didn't have a king like the rest of the nations. There was a Levite. They don't even say his name. They don't even mention him. There's no names mentioned in any of these chapters that we're going to read. It's just there was a Levite. And he was sojourning in remote, remote parts of the hill country in Ephraim. And he finds a woman. He wants to make her, not his wife, but a concubine. Now, I want you to know who a Levite would be. They are from the tribe of Levi, which comes to the third son of Jacob, Levi. And the Levites were set apart to be the priests to the nation of Israel. So they're like the pastors, they're the preachers, they're the ones that are pointing God's people to God. So this is a a man, supposed to be a man of God. So he he has a concubine. He has no other wife mentioned, so why she is a concubine, I don't really know, except for that I just think this man is a pitiful example of a man, and that he did not want the responsibility of loving a woman the way he is supposed to love a woman, and so instead of making her his wife and caring for her, she just took her as a concubine, which is a glorified slave, sex slave, okay? So that's where we're at. She's a second-class wife, meant only for sex and bearing children, maybe, if he needed to have an inheritance and have those people raised up. So in a culture where women's rights were already limited, this woman has even less rights, maybe barely more than a slave in the socioeconomic status. I just want you to feel the weight of who she is and what she's doing. So for her to leave Her husband, because that's what happens. It says here in the text that she was unfaithful to him, and she went away to her father's house in Bethlehem. Now, I've studied and studied and tried to figure out, did she go and cheat on him? Did she not go and cheat on him? The unfaithfulness was probably just that she left. Because in that culture, in that time, to leave your husband, whether a wife or concubine, would, would declare you unfaithful. And so she's returned home. Probably because he was a jerk, and you'll pick up on that in a minute. She was tired of the abuse that she was living in. So she's returned home to her father. She wanted to go home and to, and to get away from this guy, and so he decides he's going to go after her after a few months, the text say, says. He says he's going to go, and he's going to speak kindly to her. He's going to go, and he's going to speak kindly to her. So he, he gets a servant, and he gets some donkeys, and he goes, and he shows up at her father's house, and she brings him in. It says that the father and the father, his father-in-law, he is excited. He welcomes in this, this Levite with joy. He's like, come on in. Let's do this. Let's talk. I don't know why. I got some assumptions as to why the text doesn't say, but I think that culturally he probably is thinking, I need to get my wife or my daughter back with her husband. This is not okay that she left. There's a shame culture in that culture. And so he needed to make sure his daughter went back to where she was supposed to be legally. Maybe he wanted to be an empty nester still. It doesn't say he had any other kids. And so he's there with his, uh, now he's back in this, his father-in-law's house. He's back with his concubine, and the father-in-law wants to talk. They want to eat. So they talk and eat, and he's like, strengthen your heart with a morsel of bread, and after that you may go. So the two of them sat and ate and drank together. And the girl's father said to them, be pleased to spend the night and let your heart be merry. So they keep staying the night. 
They stay the night and they eat and they drink for four days. There's no conversation recorded between the Levite and the concubine. Just between the dad and the Levite. That's it. There's no kind. He said he was going to go speak kindly to her. We do not hear any of that in this text. And so finally the fifth day comes and they're going to go. The Levites had enough. He's ready to return home to his home. And so he starts heading home, and he has a servant with him. And his servant wants him to stop and stay in Jabu, which is Jerusalem, but just named something different at that time. And it was a Canaanite city at that time. And so the Levite wasn't having it. He says, we're not going to stay in this pagan city, which blows my mind. Everything else they did was pagan, but God forbid you stay in this pagan city. So they decide they're going to travel about another six miles, and they get to Gabel. I don't think I'm even saying that right, but we'll just roll with it. But it was a Benjaminite city. So this is an Israeli city. Benjaminites was another tribe of Israel. And so they're sitting in the city square trying to figure out where they're going to go. Who's going to take them in? Remember, Israel's a high hospita- like, um, culture of hospita- hospitality. They should invite people in, to bring in the sojourner, bring in the, the stranger, let them stay at your house. No one is doing that. This shows the fact that, the, that the, just the deterioration of their culture because no one's invited them in. It's starting to get dark, and here comes an old man. He sees him, he says, and he's not even a Benjaminite. He lived in the city, but he was not from the tribe of Benjamin. He sees him and said, hey, don't, don't uh, stay out here. Like, don't, this is like a bad idea. You need to come, come stay with me. And so they do that. They go and they, and they stay the night, and, and the, it says the old man was coming from the field, and he invites them in. He tells him to have straw and feed for your donkeys, bread and wine for, for me and your female servant. So he doesn't even call her his wife or concubine. You're just your female servant and the young man with your servants. There's no lack of anything. Peace be to you. I will care for all your wants. Only do not spend the night in the square. So as verse 22 there in chapter 19, it says, As they were making their hearts merry, behold, the men of the city, worthless fellows. These are not pagans. These are God's chosen people, the Benjaminites, okay? They're the worthless fellows. They start beating on the door, saying, bring out the man who came into your house that we may know him. They didn't just want to say what's up, okay? Like, if you need, do you want me? I can break it down because I warned you all it's going to be graphic. They're going to gang rape this dude. Homosexual gang rape, all right? That's what was getting ready to happen. I'm not saying it for shock value, but I want you to sit in the weight of how bad and how sinful God's people were. Not pagan people, God's people. So that's where it was at. They, they want to know this man. They're banging on this door. Again, no names are mentioned in any of this. And I want you to know why. Part of it is because they want you to see that this is a type of person for all of Israel. If it was a name and said, this is, this is Joe, the Levite, they'd be like, well, see, Joe was messed up. And, and this is, you know, these guys, and this is their names that were banging on the door. Well, yeah, they were messed up. But when it says there's no names, it's because he's pointing to the whole culture is at this point. Okay? This is where they're at. And so the old man's like, you can't do this. He, he goes out there. He's like, you, you can't do this. Remember, this is a, a high... Uh, honor culture. This is his guest. You can't do this. You can't act so wickedly, it says in verse 23, since this man has come into my house. Do not do this vile thing. But here's his next words. Behold, here are my virgin, is my virgin daughter and his concubine. Let me bring them out to you that you may know them. 
violate them and do with them what seems good to you. I, I can't wrap my mind around this. It should make you squirm in your seats. It should make you want to leave. Violate them and do whatever you want. Just don't touch the man. This is insane. This is nuts. And this is the men. They, they're not listening. So the man seized his concubine. I, Think about this. The Levites listening to all this, he knows they want to see him. They know that they're not, he's not having it. So instead of going out there and being a man and standing up to these punks, he seizes his, his concubine. She doesn't willingly go. He doesn't pat her on the back and say, hey, go out there and take one for the team, which would be even more messed up. He grabs her, seizes her, and throws her out the door so that they can violate her and have their way with her. And that's exactly what they said. And as the dawn they, they knew her, they abused her all night until the morning. And as the dawn began to break, they let her go. And as the morning appeared, the woman came and fell at the door of the man's house where her master was until it was light. Could you imagine the horror? And for any of you that are sitting in this room right now who've experienced anything even remotely similar to this, I am sorry and I hope that you can take this in and, and see where God's Beautiful work will take place in this, and, and I, I hope that in, in all this you don't hear a coldness and, and not, like, any empathy towards this. I just want to, you to sit in the text, but I want you to also know, like, God loves you, and this is not okay. This is not okay. And so this, this, is, this has happened. Now this is done, and so they've, they've mistreated this woman. They've raped her all night long, man, man after man after man, doing whatever he sees fit and abusing her she had no value to them but I want you to know she had immense value to the king to king Jesus who's yet to come in the story but we know that he's coming so from sun up to sundown that that's what we see and the Levites slept through the whole night he slept through it I don't know how he could sleep through it like I, I don't I'm not a light sleeper but I mean I can hear stuff our windows open the other night I could hear these owls out there just you know calling back and forth to each other like it was just a faint noise but it was enough I could hear it God forbid someone was being abused and violated all night long outside my house and I live in a modern house not whatever they lived in so you know he could hear it but yet he, he went to sleep and we know that he went to sleep because verse 27 says and her master rose up in the morning and when he opened the doors of the house and went out to go on his way behold there was his concubine laying at the door of the house which he hands with her hands on the threshold and he said to her, get up, let us be going. But there was no answer. So this moron walks out, steps over. Hey, let us go. I'd like to throat punch him. I don't, I would. I'd like to throat punch him. It, it's the coldness, the, 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 the arrogance. Just He doesn't know she's dead or alive, but she does not respond. She is just laying there. And so when he sees that he puts her on his donkey and he rides off home okay well maybe she's going to come too maybe she's going to be okay maybe everything's going to work out no she's of no worth to him anymore she's been used and violated and is like why would you want a sex slave who, who's who's useless now She's just been mistreated so much. I don't want her. Everyone else has had her. So I'm just going to do what? I'm going to cut her up into 12 pieces. And I'm going to send a piece of her to every tribe of Israel. Because that will get my point across on how I've been mistreated. 
someone that she's my property. You violated my property. They didn't steal his bike. They took his concubine, who should have had value, and they violated her. Now he's mad because his property has basically been destroyed. Here's what we don't know. The text doesn't say if she was dead or alive when he cut her up. She might have still been alive. It just, she was unconscious. He chops her into 12 pieces and starts mailing her out to the 12 tribes. Why? Because he's demented, for one. But two, he wanted to inspire horror and bend others to his demented will. He creates a civil war. He creates a civil war, and that's what we see in, in, in this end of chapter 19. The people of Israel say such a thing has never happened or been seen from the day that the people of Israel came up from the land of Egypt until this day. Consider it, take counsel, and speak. So they're just blown away by the sinfulness. They're blown away, but which I don't understand. You would think that they would just be like, well, this is how we live now because we're, we're, sin- we're sinners. And so then verse chapters 20 and 21, I'm going to sum it up a little quicker for you. Here's what happens. He invokes a civil war. He, take, he gets 11 tribes to go against the tribe of Benjamin. And they almost wipe them out. I'm talking to a point that it, there's no one left for the men to marry. And here's the deal. Every war that we've seen, they're praying and they're asking God, should they go? Should they do this? There is no consulting God. There is no consulting God if they should go. They only consult God three times and each time is to ask how they should do it. And God says, we'll do this. See, he's turned them over to their own sinfulness. This is what you want, then have at it. You're gonna sit in it and you're gonna sit in the weight of it and it's gonna be miserable for you. So at the end of this, if you want, you can later read through the chapters 20 and 21, they've basically wiped out the tribe of Benjamin. There's no children left, there's no women left. I think there's about 600 men left. There's no one for them to marry and the rest of the tribes weren't supposed to give their their daughters to the tribe of Benjamin for wives. There was some things passed that happened, and they're not supposed to do that. And so they, they, they go and they wipe out some other people to give them wives. And then there's still not enough wives. So they tell the Benjaminites, go and watch and wait for the daughters of Shiloh to come out and dance, and then just go snatch them. So they're going to do, tra- they're, they're human trafficking now. They're just going to add to the list of crimes and sins that they want to have. So in verses, uh, or verse 25 of chapter 21, that's, that's exactly what it tells us. It says, oh, my bad. Oh, I'm getting ahead of myself. Yeah, they had no regard for women. They had no regard for human dignity. They are just doing whatever they want. And here's why. Verse 25 of chapter 21, in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So just as chapter 19 opens, Chapter 21 and Judges close. There was no king. They did what was right in their eyes. There was a king. It was the Lord, creator of the whole universe, but they didn't want to see him as king. So take a breath. And we're going to apply this to our culture. We're going to break it down, and we're going to see how there's 11 ways the American church is just like Israel in that current time. And we're going to sit in this. Number one. We have no king but ourselves. We all do what is right in our own eyes. We have downplayed um, what it means to follow after Jesus into just being something else, just as being a side piece of our lives. We do what is right in our own eyes. And if something makes sense for us to better ourselves and advance our own cause, we'll do it. 
We can see that last week across American culture. Saddleback Church, one of the largest Southern Baptist churches in America, decides that they would rather fit into culture, and so they ordain three women. So just as we want to say, well, this is abuse of women, this is mistreating women, also stepping in and saying, hey, you can do whatever you want. God's design role for men and women doesn't matter. We're going to ordain you because there is no king but ourselves. We'll do what we want. We're going to follow our own rules. We're going to do what's right in our eyes, not in God's eyes. I mean, he gave us a book of how to do it, but we're going to do what's right in our eyes. See, so there's no king. There's no king. We don't follow after Jesus. The American church has not followed after Jesus. Number two, marriage is but of a mere convenience of sex and status. This one I've set in maybe more this week than anything else because here's the problem with the American church. We have idolized marriage. Some young guy is addicted to porn. Hey, just find yourself a wife and get married. It won't be a problem. Yeah, it will. It will. It's not going away because now you have a distorted view of sex and you're not gonna just Ain't happening every day, all right? Like, we all know, like, it ain't happening every day. And so what happens, you're just, yeah, you can laugh, but it's real. And if it is, then I don't know, like, your life's different, but hey, like, the reality is, is <clears throat> it, it ain't gonna change. It's not gonna change anything. You still have an addicted guy to sex, and our answer was just go get married. Maybe God never intended for that person to get married, Paul says it's a gift. But the American church rather look like the rest of the culture. Say, well, you got to get married. You got to do this. And that's why our divorce rates are the same as the rest of the culture. And they're no different because we've just made marriage of mere convenience. Dudes coming out of seminary, they feel a weight to get married because if they don't, people don't want to hire them as pastors, especially youth pastors, because you don't want a single dude as your youth pastor because you're worried about it, whether or not they're going to try to hook up with your seniors in high school. Why? Why can't we just trust that some dude is going to do what's good and right and righteous instead of forcing them to feel like they have to get married? But the Israelite culture, they obviously have no desire to see marriage as as an important thing because he's taking the concubine. That was never God's plan. God created Eve for Adam to be his companion, to be his helper, to be his wife, the flesh of his own flesh, bone of his own bone. Like, this is ribbed wasn't just some girl to hook up with when he wanted to. And we've made marriage no different. It's the level of shame that comes with being single in the American church. It should not be. Should not be at all. Because then, when it's no longer convenient, we just get divorced and we throw it away. Number three. The American church is just like Israel because women are only pursued for gain. It is absolutely sickening to me, the way our culture has taken females and decided that if we put them on the, on the political ticket, gets us voted in. If we do this, it makes our, our company good, look good because we have a CEO that's a woman. Now, I am not in any way saying that women shouldn't run for president, vice president, senate, congress, or be a CEO. You guys can rock it, and you should do it, and you should go. But when you're used just as something to get somebody to vote just because it's just a a female name on the ticket, that's pursuing women for gain. And men have, instead of dominating culture, we figured out that if we don't still figure out a way to manipulate this whole thing, 
then we're going to lose power to women. And so what we do is, we'll just, well, let's just put them here. Let's do this. It is a game. It's a shell game just to try to keep control. And it's, it's wrong. It's wrong. But the, the American church, we've done that too. Like, I, I see it not just with women, but I see it even just in, in different boards and things. Like, well, we got to put a woman on this board so that we can kind of suffice. Well, why wasn't there a woman on the board 30 years ago that was just qualified to do it? Why not? Because, but now we're going to do it so we can keep some heat off our back. So we pursue the women. We have to stop that. Like, no, there's, there, yes, there's defined roles for men and women. There's no, no doubt about it. We're not going to break those roles that God has set up. But we got to put women where they need to be so they can lead. And then men, we have to stop just pursuing women for our sexual pleasure. We, we, we can't do that, and that's, that's the guiltiness. Like, we'll turn a blind eye to single guys in our church who, who are not yet married, but they're, they're kind of on the side chasing some women and, and sleeping around. That's not okay. We can't just ignore that. And then here's the problem. Married men in the room, sometimes you only pursue your wife for your own personal gain. You stopped dating her a long time ago. Just because you put a ring on it doesn't mean you can stop dating her. You still need to pursue her. You want to know why? Because Jesus hasn't stopped pursuing you as his bride. And so the gospel is supposed to reflect in our marriage, right? Our marriage is supposed to reflect the gospel. So keep pursuing your wife. And you think, well, she doesn't want me to pursue her. She, she doesn't really pay attention to me. Well, you were dead in your sin. He pursued you, so start pursuing her. Paul Dunn, Paul Dunn stood up. Number four, we are more concerned with our societal status than the obedience to Jesus. We are more concerned with our societal status than obedience to Jesus. Our status in society means more to us than if we're obedient to Jesus. You can see that in this text where you have this guy, this, this father-in-law, this dad of the concubine who is more worried about what it would look like if his daughter did not return with that Levite. And so he's forcing her to go. And you see a Levite who did not love a woman but went back to go get her just because he didn't want the shame of his wife leaving him. And for us, in our own lives, we will do anything and everything we can to climb the American dream ladder of corporate ladder. It's sad, but in churches, I see it all the time where pastors are more worried about building their, their resume and getting seminary degrees and chasing that evan, evan, American evangelical American dream so they can just build up and grow on the church ladder of leadership. See, that's, that's not what we're called to do. We're called to be obedient to Jesus. Uh, I, I said a line the other day that Jeff gave me in a sermon that we should, well, I think Jeff might have to shout it out, but y'all hear Jeff? Say it again, Jeff. Yeah, that's being obedient. Preach the gospel, die, be forgotten. We don't have to be known. We, we're more worried about our societal status and how many likes we get on Facebook than being obedient to Jesus. That has to stop. That can't be who we are, but that's who we've become. Next thing, number five, another way that we are just like Israel, we lack concern for the sojourner. As much as I don't feel bad for this Levite, I don't feel bad for him at all, like zero sympathy. This still shows a breakdown in Israel following after God's ways. They should have invited him in. 
Someone should invite them in. These were God's people who saw them sitting in the square, no one inviting them in, no one saying, hey, come stay with us. We'll feed you. We'll clothe you. We've got food for your donkeys. Like, we've got you covered. None. And so for us, we have done the same thing because all through God's word, the Old Testament and the New Testament, you see a care for the sojourner. You see a care for, for the immigrant. And here's what we've done. And I'm not even getting political. I'm just going to just say this, and you can do what you want with it. If it offends you, then I don't know. Just deal with it later. <laughs> I don't care how someone got here legally or illegally. It does not let you out of God's law to love them and care for them. Okay? Should there be laws? Should there be borders? Of course. We see laws and borders in God's word. He's the one that sets those boundaries for nations. Okay? But once someone's here, get over yourself and whatever political side you sit on and start caring for people because that's what God's chosen people are called to do. Okay, that's who we should be. We should be okay with saying, you know what, I don't know why they're here or how they got here, but I'm going to love them, I'm going to care for them. Do you know that most um, refugees will never have an American in their home? They'll never have an American friend, they're never going to know somebody, there's no one that's ever going to take the time to get to know them because it's hard because they don't speak your language, they don't know you, they don't have your cultures, it's, it's different but we can step a little bit. You want to reach the nations? Sometimes the nations are right here in our own backyard. Number six, the responsibility of men to protect women is void. We just don't. We're good with it. The dad here, he, he doesn't protect his daughter. He sends her out with, with the Levite. He knew. Like, I would be thinking, like, hey, when he showed up, I'd be like, why did she leave you in the first place? We need to talk. I'll tell you right now. Jocelyn's turning 18. In, in December. So I'm giving it, I don't know, within 10 years, she'll probably be married. If in year 11, she comes rolling back to my house and is there for three months, and then this dude shows up, no. I know I'll be older, I'll be like pushing 50 by then, but I will drop some elbows on somebody. Like, I'm not playing around. Like, you're not just going to treat my daughter like that and then think that it's okay. This guy, there's no responsibility to pr protect women at all. Obviously, the Levite doesn't care. He seizes her and throws her out. And here's the deal. As Christian men, we've been told that our masculinity is toxic, and we've started to believe it. It's toxic. It's toxic for you to be a, a, a Christian male. You're, you're oppressing people. You have a responsibility to care for the women, not just that you're married to or that you father, but in this room. You should be standing up for them. If there's some, a voice that is coming, I'm not saying it's because they're weak, but God has obviously told us, like, that is our job. And so we need to stand up and protect women and be a voice for them. Be willing to open a, just even open a door for them. Some of you just walk out, just let the door slam in their face. They ought to smack you. We're okay with turning a blind eye to sexual and verbal abuse. There's some of you in this room, you know that your buddies talk horrible to their spouse. Talk horrible to them. Run them down. You may know that your buddy is cheating on his wife. And you'll sit there and ignore it because you don't want to stand up. You have a responsibility in it to protect women. To be a voice. Be a man. Don't be a boy. Be a man. Don't be a boy. We, and I see it all the time because what happened just three years ago. One of the Southern Baptist seminaries. The, the, the president of the seminary was told that a woman was raped. 
by, by a seminary student. Another, a female seminary student raped by a male seminary student. No one talked about it, covered it up, because that's bad press. Who wants that? The lack of protecting women. And then it all comes out, people are getting fired, and it's a, it's a big uproar. Now, it wouldn't have been the big uproar if that dude would have done what he was supposed to do when it came to his office desk and just dealt with it. And that's the problem in the American church is that we've just swept sin of sexual abuse under the table and we haven't looked at it because it's, it's offensive and it's scary and it gives us a black eye. Well, ignoring it gives us two black eyes, so we need to do something about it. And the reason why we don't is number seven, because we are numb to sexual perversion. We're numb to sexual perversion. This is for both men and women, just numb to it. I'll get to men in a second, but, I'm gonna, but women, I think that sometimes it's easy for you to skip over this and be like, oh, that's not me. Well, um, studies show that 60% of women are watching porn. 60% are watching porn. So that means six out of 10 of you could potentially be watching porn, okay? Um, and you'll be thinking, well, I don't watch porn. Okay, well, if you watch Fifty Shades of Grey, you did. Maybe you should have been reading the 50 chapters of Genesis instead of watching Fifty Shades of Grey. That is my one joke for the day. There is 50 chapters in Genesis if you didn't know. So, like, and if you didn't know, then read your Bible, all right? But it gets worse because men, 90% of us are watching porn, 90%. And if you're not watching porn, good for you, but did you watch Games, Game of Thrones? Same thing, all right? So you, you can stop trying to ride your high horse and act like you're righteous because we're not. This is, this is the American church. We're just numb to sexual perversion. We will scroll through social media with Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, whatever it is. And you may like, well, they're not naked. Dude, they might as well be. They might as well be. You know, like that, that's where we're at. We just, and then we wonder, like, well, my kids, are, my kids are watching porn. Like, I caught my son. He's watching porn. And we put this blocker on there, but they found a way around it. And, and now what? It's because you were numb to it. You were just numb to it. And you wonder why they did it? Because you didn't make it a big deal. You let it be on your TV. You let, the, you let it all just slide. And then you wonder, like, well, I don't understand why, why they don't see. Because you've made it normal, the sexual perversion of, of that. And then here's the, here's the problem with it all is that every time we do that, we're only advancing the lack of care for women. Because every time you click that click, when you're sitting there and you don't think it affects anyone, it's just you. You're just, man, it's been a stressful week. I'm just going gonna, gonna to check out and watch this video. No one's around. That's, first of all, that's the least picture of biblical manhood. You look like a punk boy right then, okay? Number two, every time you click it, you're upping the, the demand. It's a supply and demand thing. So every time that there's a need for porn, that means you're upping the chance for someone else to get sex trafficked and forced, forced into porn or into strip clubs or into um, prostitution. So see, not all of them are like willingly doing it. I don't think any of them like grew up thinking, oh man, I want to go be a porn star. No, they, they didn't. I mean, a lot of them just get into it maybe from addiction and other things and just people who have manipulated them. But there's a lot of them out there who have been sex trafficked and they're slaves and they have no choice. It's either do this or die. Do this or we'll go kill your family. Okay? And here's the problem. They don't even need a sex traffic anymore. If you just want to sit in this for a minute, they're farming little boys and little girls. So the people they already sex trafficked, just give us babies. We're going to raise them up. No social security number, no name. No one's missing them because we're sexually perverted. And the church is just numb to it because we're watching just as much porn as everybody else. <laughs> 
So it's clear that sexual perversion has just became the norm of this time period. It was the norm for there. Here's my virgin daughter. Here's my virgin daughter. Just take her. Take his concubine. We can't just keep saying that boys will be boys. We got to stop this now for the next generation. Step up and say, hey, I'm going to do whatever it takes. I'm going to have the honest conversations with my kids so that I'm not, so I don't just like act like sex is this dirty, bad thing. It's not. It's a beautiful thing given to us from God for marriage. But we got to talk about it to our kids, not just our boys, but to our girls too, so they're educated and they don't go down this rabbit hole that, that the American church has been in. It can change. Number eight, the mistreatment of others is, no, is of no consequence to us. We don't care anymore. Like, we're really okay with people getting mistreated. Like, we, we say that it bothers us, but we, we don't. It, like, it just, we can just phase it out. We can watch the news, and we can go to sleep, and just act like nothing matters anymore. That's what we see in this text, is that the mistreatment of people did not matter to them. They're just like, well, well, you know, that guy went to sleep. The old man in violin, the, the Levite, they just went to sleep. The mistreatment of people do not, does not matter. Do we not hear the atrocities that are outside our door? There is an abortion clinic like four miles down the road, okay? There's strip clubs, I don't know, I'm directionally challenged. I think that way. They're all lined up. Like we don't care. We're just like, it doesn't affect us. It's not in my backyard. It doesn't bother me. And until we're personally directed with something, we can just wipe it out. We can just forget it. We can watch people get abused on the news in all sorts of different ways. I don't have to go into it. Y'all know what's going on. And we can just turn off the news at 1030 whenever you want to go to sleep and be like, I'm done. And just roll over and go to sleep. We have to let it affect us. It has to affect us. Our hearts should break for these things. But you know why we don't? Number nine, we have no regard for human life. That concubine was a little girl one day. She, grew, she had to have grown up thinking, man, I'd like to get married. I'd like to have a husband. I'd like to have kids. I would like to have a life and a family and do things. And no, her dad gave her away to be a sex slave. He didn't have to. He didn't have to do that, but he, but he did. She was created in the Imago Dei, the image of God. And the first person who should have cared about her was her dad. The next person should have been her husband, the Levite. But he doesn't care either. He steps right over her, maybe dead, maybe not, and cuts her up because he was a sadistic psycho. And for us, we have no regard for human life. We don't care sometimes when, when there's babies being aborted. And I don't say that with a coldness. If any of you in this room have, have dealt with abortion, I want you to know, like, there is forgiveness at the cross. God loves you. You're not, you're not, um, your identity is not in that. Your identity is in Christ. Like, know that and rest in that. But know, like, the, as a church, we've, we will say things, but we don't take action on them. I'm not saying this from a place of, of judgment. But even in this text, when they're kidnapping girls to be their wives, it's, it's a mess. And so, for us, we have to be heartbroken when there is no regard for human life. When people are murdered, when people are killed, we're just like, eh, it doesn't affect me. I gotta hurry up because I'm I'm way over. I, I usually am really good on time, but I'm number ten. We should only we only respond to sin when we have it shoved in our face. So we don't care about human life until it's shoved in our face. The Israelites did not care what was going on until they, a piece of a woman showed up at their doorstep. Right? Then like, oh my gosh, now we gotta do something. We need to do something. And so for us, 
that's how we are. We keep on living our lives until sin is at our doorsteps, and then we have no choice left but to respond to something. See, now my theology lends me to believe that things are going to get much worse before Jesus returns. We can talk about that another day. If you ever want to grab coffee, we can talk about it. But that does not mean that we just ignore it. Just because things are going to get worse before Jesus returns doesn't mean we just sit back and say, oh, well, and kick our feet up. No, we should care until that there's sin, that there's injustice in this world. We should be bold enough to speak out against it, but yet we're not. And here's the last thing, number 11, because the Israelites, they follow this Levite to war. They follow him to war. They don't um, ask. They, he, he gives them a lie of what happened. He tells them that the men circled the house and tried to take him, and that they seized his concubine and took her. They weren't going to kill him. They didn't seize anybody. He threw her out. And so they listened to his lies, and they follow him. So number 11, we follow men before seeking truth. We, were, we are much quicker to follow a man or a leader before we'll follow Jesus. We're just like, oh, yeah, that sounds good. I might have been standing up here lying to you this whole time, and you might not know because you need to read this for yourself. I'm not lying to you, but if I was, you, you need to know you shouldn't follow a man before you follow Jesus, but we'll follow whatever comes out of the mouth of a politician, a news anchor, and social media personalities. We're quick to follow that. Well, that person's got 15,000 followers. They must be something. I need to, I'm going to listen to what they say. That's not who we should be. Our worldview should not be shaped by anything but God and his word. That's what it should shape our worldview. That's who we should be. And I'm going to wrap this thing up so that we can pray, we can have communion. But I want you to just, just sit in this and rest in this. All these sins committed by Israel, all these sins committed by the American church, by you, by me, by everyone in this room, by anyone watching on Facebook, know that Christ took all those sins he became all those sins. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says, For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus did that for us. In our sinfulness and in the heaviness of this text, where there was not very many, there's really no bright spots, there's not much to talk about, there's Jesus. There's, there's God with a plan back then and now to reconcile us to himself in spite of our sins. He did not look at us back then and think, man, they're not worth saving. He doesn't look at you now and think, man, I wish I would not have saved them. He knew how toxic we would be. He knew how vile we would be, and yet he loved us, and he still does. And so as we sit here today, I just call you if, if you, if you know, like, hey, out of those 11 things, I'm guilty of some of that, and we all are, then just spend some time to repent as we take communion. If you're here today, you're watching online, and you think, well, I, I don't know about any of this, but man, I I know that like this sounds like a mess and I don't want to be like this. Well, then put your faith in Jesus and trust that he can pull you out of this, this mire and muck that we're in as a culture. No, there's something better. So I'd ask you, what is your hope in? It could be in the Savior King. It doesn't have to be in us trying harder to get out of this. It can be in Jesus. We've all sinned, but we don't have to sit in it. We don't have to sit in this way. He'll take it. So I'm going to pray. We're going to respond to the gospel and then... We're going to worship. Let me pray. God, we are sinful people. This text exposes so much of it. Father, I pray that you forgive us. Truly forgive us, corporately and individually, where we have fallen short, where we've been okay with being sinners and, and just looking more like the culture than your chosen people. God, draw us back to you. 
like we sung earlier in the service. Draw us back to you. Help us to, to sing, God, the praises of you. Help us to focus on you. And for those in this room who genuinely do not know you, God, I pray that you reveal yourself to them. And for those of us who, who have proclaimed faith in you, God, I pray that you revive us, that you start a, a revival in us. God, that the American church won't look like this anymore, and then may it start right here today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.